Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're talking about the Kingdom of God today, as usual. And uh, we've got a variety of topics to kind of go over, uh, because there's been a lot going on this week. And uh, I thought I would do a little bit of a review of some of the posts that we've had on the uh, network. Everyone should be on the network. It's not... Difficult to do. It's just uh, go to the website and uh, join the local network in your area, depending on what state or country you live in. And then you can take it to the next level in your quest for the kingdom of God, which is to connect with other people. Uh, what we've done in this world is we've forgotten how to care about others. I mean, it's really easy to have nice thoughts about others sitting in a pew somewhere or watching TV and say, oh, those poor, poor people. But to actually turn your uh, feelings into actions is absolutely essential in your quest for the kingdom. Seeking the kingdom and... Uh, and the righteousness of God is absolutely essential for your salvation. If you aren't doing that, you haven't repented. If you haven't repented, you haven't been saved. It's absolutely essential in the process of repentance that you put your heart into action. You have to be a doer of the word. Christ was adamant about that. Not those who say, but those who doeth the will of my Father. And so if you're not doing it, and this has nothing to do with being saved by works, you're not going to be able to do enough. We know that. You have to be saved by grace, but grace comes when you love those, even those that don't love you. You know, it's loving your family, loving those people who do things for you, loving, you know, your good neighbors. Uh, that's all easy. But loving those people who you don't know, uh, those people who may even be unkind to you, unfair to you, that's a little more difficult. But that's part of the process. If you can't do that, if you can't, because, you know, you need forgiveness, right? If you want to be forgiven, you have to forgive. That's Christ. That's a criteria that Christ laid down. If you do not forgive, neither will my Father forgive you. This is very clear. So if you don't forgive... Neither will your Father in Heaven forgive you. So if you haven't done your forgiving, you may be in a lot of trouble because you're not forgiven. Because you're not forgiving. I mean, this is 
This is what Christ said. Now you don't you can argue with me, but you can't argue with Christ. If you your preacher is not preaching the doctrines of Christ, that's not my fault. If he's saying you're forgiven because you think a thought and you are able to save yourself by thinking a thought, that's powerful. But it's stupid. It's wrong. You can't just think a thought and save yourself. You don't save yourself by works. You save yourself by repenting. That's turning around and thinking another way and turning that thought, that other way, that way of Christ into action. And again, you won't have enough action to save yourself. You'll still be saved by grace. But if you haven't turned around, you haven't repented. All those Christians in Milan who just went out and got baptized by the edict and commands of Constantine were not real Christians and repented. Now, I'm sure some of them in the process may have started thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, I, I'm, I'm beginning to see what those Christians were all about. And they may have repented then. But when they just went out and got baptized, they were just all wet Christians. That's all they were. They weren't real Christians. They weren't repentant Christians. They weren't saved Christians. When uh, Constantine was going around killing people, even after he supposedly became this Christian emperor and bishop of bishops, that's what he, he entitled himself, bishop of bishops, put himself on a golden throne and invited all Christian bishops throughout the empire. It was at least 1,200 at that time, known bishops at that time. Uh, there were probably thousands more. Uh, 300 showed up responding to his command. You know, and, and they they could disregard his command because as bishops, they had another king, one Jesus. And they did contrary to the decrees of Caesar because they were a different kind of government. And that's one of the topics we're going to talk about today is kinds of government, types of government. Why is government important to the church? Because governments are the way in which you often govern yourselves. And the Bible is about government. We know that hundreds, 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 hundreds of times the Bible talks about good governments, bad governments, governments that reject God, people reject God and create governments. Over and over again it talks about governments. Kingdom of God is a government. It's a form of government. It's a way in which to govern yourself. The way, which is what Christianity was called before Antioch, it was called the way. It was the way in which you govern yourself. And that's why, you know, Paul says your citizenship is in heaven. Your, your administration of public affairs, he actually uses a word that means administration of public affairs, was the way in which you governed yourself. So what kind of a government is the kingdom of God? And probably just as important, maybe even more important, what kind of government is not the kingdom of God? Because if you're following a government, if you're seeking a government, if you're pursuing a government that is contrary to the kingdom of God, might conform to Caesar, but it's contrary to the kingdom of God, then you may have need of repentance. You may need to turn around. 
Now, I'm not condemning anyone. You condemn yourselves. I'm not, I, but I, it's my job to tell you the truth, to present to you the truth. And I'm going to present to you the truth as I see it. You may think I'm wrong. You may believe I'm wrong. You may even be right, and I may be wrong. But I still have to profess what I see to be true. I can't, I can't hold back. And if uh, that causes you a problem, if that makes you feel uncomfortable, you're on your own. I can't do anything about that. So uh, I've dealt a lot this week with people who uh, don't know the meaning of words. And then they take these words and they construct them together into ideas that they think are logical. And you try to figure out what they're talking about because they don't know the meaning of words. And that's, that's, you know, I'm not faulting them for that, although they may be partially to blame because of that. But the fact is the meaning of words changes all the time and every word has multiple definitions. And so when you say words like bondage and slavery, well, is all slavery bondage? Is all bondage slavery? Well, yeah, depends on how you mean the word. You know, involuntary servitude may be a definition of slavery. It's when somebody enslaves you. You you weren't, and they force you to work for them. That that's one idea about slavery, where you're actually you know somebody captures you and they make you work. If you don't work, they don't feed you or they beat you or they threaten to shoot you, and you're enslaved. And some people thought that was okay to do, but that's not really okay to do. That that is against God's plan. But some people enslave themselves. I mean, if you were a servant in Israel, you could indenture yourself for up to seven years. According to the statute, the way they wrote it up, you could indenture yourself for seven years. You could indenture yourself for two years. You could indenture yourself for a couple of months and say, I'm going to help you out for the next month if you give my family food for the next three months. And so they give they give the food to your family for the next three months, and they've got it, and now you go and work, and you're indentured to work for a month. You have to work for for a month. He's going to tell you what to do. You could say, well, he's a slave of that person for a month. Well, yeah, you could just say he's in bondage because he's made an agreement for a month, and then when the month is up, he gets to go back home. And that's just an agreement between people. And if you don't work the month and you leave before the time is up, uh, you know, he has, some, you've, you've taken away not your labor, you've taken, he gave the food to your family, he paid in advance, now you owe him. Now that may not be a good idea. You know, the, in, in common law, early common law, not statutory common law, but the early common law of England, you paid for something when you got it. If you work for somebody, they paid you by the day. 
And if he owed you three months of food for one month of work, every day you worked, he gave you three days' supply of food at the end of the workday or in the middle of the workday or on that workday. Now, he did not let the sun set on a debt. That was the plan. Now, because there's trust among people, they might have let that go. You know, it's not convenient. You know, maybe part of that food was a cow and... He can't give you a third of a cow. He's got to give you the whole cow. So, you you know, maybe he leads the cow over to your place the second half day, you know, or whatever it is. (laughs) I don't know. So, I mean, obviously you can't do all these things exactly, but the principle is is that you don't let the sun set on the debt. And, of course, that, that is a very sad, biblical idea. In other words, the Sabbath is about debt. You work six days, and then you get your reward for the six days of work. You get your day of rest. If you're going in debt, you're not keeping the Sabbath. You're violating the principle. Now, some people say, oh, no, the Sabbath is a special day, and you count, and you look at the lunar calendar, and you figure this all out, because that's what the Lord said you know, it's a metaphor. There's a show coming out. Somebody sent me a clip from the show. It's uh, I can't remember the name of Protectors of the Universe. It's kind of a futuristic show. And there's a guy in that who's totally literal about everything. He's from another planet. I guess he's got tattoos and he's very strong. But uh, everything is literal with him. He Metaphors, he doesn't get metaphors. They go over his head. And they say that he says he doesn't understand metaphors. It just go over his head. He says nothing goes over my head. I'm too fast. I will catch it. <laughs> he doesn't get metaphors. But the Hebrew language is just chock full of metaphors. It's total metaphor language. The the language is based on metaphors. Every single word has not only a specific meaning but a metaphor meaning. You know, it has it has a conceptual meaning that's expressing something else. You know, reins of a horse is is the, is something that you control things with. And we use metaphors. You know, you know a guy takes over a new job; he took the reins of the control right away in that new job. And we say, "Well, what when reins? He doesn't ride horses in that job." <laughs> well, we know it's a metaphor. We we can we can understand that. That guy is as solid as a rock. You know, it's a a metaphor. He's not actually made out of stone. It's a metaphor. You don't understand the metaphors, the Sabbath. You work six days, and then you take your day of rest. It's a metaphor. Trying to explain to you a principle by which to govern yourselves. But you don't. Your money is is not sabbatical. Your money is all about debt. In every country, you don't have just weights and measures. You know, you have silver coins that aren't silver, or copper pennies that aren't copper. You have dollars that aren't dollars. Dollar is a way to measure. You know, a dollar's worth of gold is worth 20 times what a dollar's worth of silver is because it's a way... It's a measure of weight. 
but you got paper dollars. You know, it's you you don't understand the principles of things, and so therefore you completely strayed away from the ways of God and the law of nature. That's one a lot of people think. That's one thing that came up as I was explaining. Wait a minute, the laws of nature existed before the legislature convened. <laughs> the legislature has a right to make laws based on what already existed in the law of nature. And the law of nature is defined as divine will. It's also defined as right reason, which takes us back to what I talked about at the beginning of the show. You need to know the meaning of words, or at least define the meaning of words, in order to create a explanation of right reason. And that's difficult. So sometimes you have to write down and say, I mean this word in this sense. If you're talking about bondage and servitude, which was a topic that came up. And uh, I've got some notes here on some of the things that came up. It was modern Christians who supported the war, not real Christians. Modern Christians um, uh, could become real Christians if they would actually repent and seek the government of God and his righteousness. Uh, so anyway, we, we, we included a lot of different... Uh, uh, different things that we talked about uh, in in different eras of our history, and I actually sent to one group the uh, lyrics for uh, little boxes made of ticky tacky, uh, uh, which was a song that came out back in the '60s, and uh, and it was about how everybody was kind of put into a mold, you know, they go to school, they go to college, the university, and they come out, uh, put in little boxes on the hillside, little boxes all the same, and of course, the fundamental image of that is, you know, the, and when they talk about houses made of ticky-tacky, they talk about stucco houses, where some will be, you know, a little pink, and some will be a little blue, and some will be a little yellow. And they're all in a row, and everybody, all the houses look the same, and the kids all go to school, and they all go to the university, and they all come out just the same. And thinking a certain way. Well, of course, society is not quite that orderly. There are certain areas of society that are orderly, but uh, you also have you have to have a certain variety. So. If you read 1984, they have some people that are rebels, and they make arrangements for all the rebels to join the revolution. And they they get those who want to be rebels over here. And they think they're fighting against the regime, but the regime is actually controlling the revolutionaries. They've put them in a box of revolutionaries. And they watch and, and allow them to think that they're actually going to do something. That's what democracy is all about. You have two parties, and you think, well, if I elect this party, good things will happen. And the other group of people think that if I elect this party candidate, good things will happen. 
the reality is, is that's not what's making society run. We give power to these leaders, but really what controls society is the spirit that dwelleth in us as a people. Now, most people don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. The Holy Spirit may list about where it will. They may come in from time to time, and you may have certain insights and revelations. But is it making a home in you? Is it dwelling in you? Well, if you're not forgiving, it's not going to find a home in you. If you're not giving of your life, the nature of the Holy Spirit is not going to find a compatible place to lodge within you. You need to give so that you may be given too. You need to forgive so that you may be forgiven. As you change, you become the change you want to see in society. And then you gather together with others who want to see that same change. You do not want to be the rebel because that puts you in common with Satan, who is the rebel of rebels. And so you want to be a conformist. It's just a question of what you want to conform to. Do you want to conform to Christ? Then you have to come to serve. You have to come to forgive. You have to come to be of value to others. This will make you different. You won't be like the little houses made of ticky-tacky. So anyway, I wrote an article, Exiting Babylon, and I've uh, been answering some questions that somebody put to me. I really don't, I have, you have to realize, I get hundreds and hundreds of emails a day, and I, I go through them rapidly. I cannot read every single one. People don't read the books, they don't read the articles, and they want me to uh, answer all their questions. Well, read the book. Show me that you're interested enough to read the book. We make them all available for free. I don't know hardly any ministry that makes more material available for free than we do. There might be one out there. I don't know. Uh but we have well-researched material, hundreds, thousands of footnotes, thousands of links to other articles explaining exactly where we're coming from, defining the words that we're using so that you know what we mean when we say daily ministration, what we mean when we say early church, what we mean when we say religion, what we mean when we say Corbin of Christ or the Corbin of the Pharisees, we explain all these things. What were the tens, hundreds, and thousands? How was the church organized? What were they doing? What were they not doing? We we go into all these details. And uh, if you are interested in knowing the answer, don't expect me to take hours of my time out of the day to privately tutor you so that you can learn what you should be learning on your own. Now, I, I, I do that, but I'm spread thin. I'm only one person. That's why we have the network. That's why if you want detailed information, show me that you're interested in others as much as yourself and join a congregation. 
Anyway, we'll be back, and I will spend another hour and a half explaining some of these things to you. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're, again, talking about the Kingdom of God. And I said I would answer a few uh, questions for you. And uh, actually, during the break, what I was doing, I added a new template to uh, the website uh, to explain different types of governments. And... Uh, I was copying it over the code so that our programmers can uh, uh, start putting it into the different articles that talk about government. And uh, so there's all kinds of different kinds of government. There's anarchies, there's capitalism, there's communism, democracies, fascism, socialism, statism. I didn't even put in a republic yet. Uh, there's constitutional republics. There's uh, a Republican form of government. Uh, there's all sorts of different types of government. And you can be a democracy and uh, have a system, economic system of capitalism. But the democracy is going to interfere with some of the freedoms of capitalism because the majority may, you know, the 51% may say, well, you can have property, but if 51% say they want it, they can take it away. So then you don't really have the same property rights. You can have uh, democratic socialist states uh, where there are both democracies and a mix of socialism. But if you break these different types of government down into their basic, most basic forms by looking at their definitions, then you can understand them. And then when you create com combinations, you know, they have things like they call like anarcho-capitalism. That's anarchy and capitalism. And they supposedly mix. Well, there's other guys that go along and call themselves anarcho-coms, uh, anarchoms, uh, where they think they're anarchy, but they're communists or they're socialists. And that there's going to be a mix there because anarchy, there are no rulers. Socialism always requires somebody to redistribute wealth. Somebody decide, you know, who gets to take what out of the storehouse. Everything has to go into the storehouse. Everything is a common purse in a socialist state. But then you get to take stuff out according to your need. Well, do you get to decide what your need is, or does somebody make the approval? Well, you think you need that much. I don't think you need that much. You need less. <laughs> so somebody has to make that decision. So there cannot be an anar anarchy, anarchism, and socialism. They, they are going to come into conflict because anarchy means no ruler. Socialism requires somebody to rule, whether you do it democratically or whether you do it by electing some head of state who makes these decisions. Somebody's going to have to rule what you get back and what you don't. In, in a pure capitalist 
condition. What you produce is yours. You don't produce it, it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to somebody else. Now, people will add other types of government in with capitalism in order to make that happen. But just capitalism by itself, it's just about the private ownership of the means of production. And the biggest means of production is your labor. If you don't have a right to 100% of your labor, you're not operating in capitalism. Say, like Israel and Egypt, one-fifth of their labor belonged to the state, to, to Pharaoh. They had to work for the Pharaoh for one-fifth of the year. That was the deal their parents made, you know, hundreds of years before. They said, yeah, we will belong to Pharaoh one-fifth of our labor belongs to you. All of our sheep and cows and animals, they belong to you. Our lands, our right to own land belongs to you. And we will live on your land with a legal title, which doesn't include the beneficial interest. But as long as we labor for you one-fifth of the year, you will let us live on this land. We don't actually own it. But we own a right to live on it if we meet your criteria of working for you one-fifth of the year, 20% tax, you know, straight across the board, flat tax, you could call it, 20%. I mean, you might not have to actually go and work for the pharaoh. You could send somebody else. You could pay somebody else to go work for the pharaoh. But your one-fifth of the value of what you produce in a year has got to go to the pharaoh. So it's a flat Income tax of one-fifth, 20%. Well, that during that time that you're working to pay that 20% off, you're a slave. You, you have to work for the pharaoh. You have to do what he says. I mean, there may be limits to that, but basically you got to labor for the pharaoh. You don't own 100% of your labor. You only own four-fifths of your labor. It's very clear in the Bible. That's what they're talking about. Well, that's not that's not capitalism. That's pure capitalism. Because you don't own one-fifth of the means of production in your body, your labor. Somebody else owns that. So right away, they, they moved away from capitalism. Somebody said, well, capitalism didn't wasn't invented until 1840. Well, private ownership of your labor has been around from the beginning. And I equated it with, you know, a squirrel practices capitalism. Because there was somebody who come along and said, there was no capitalism except for the last 20 years and stuff, you know, where people own the means of production. What are you talking about? <laughs> You're just making this stuff up? He says, there's no evidence of capitalism in nature. I says, well, the squirrel collects nuts in the woods, and he stashes them away, and even hides them so that other squirrels don't get them. And he buries them, you know, and hopefully he remembers where he put them. And he puts them in little, you know, places where they're, I mean, we uncovered a mouse nest years ago. It was under a board, and there was this mouse nest made out of wool, just perfect, you know, all round and everything, and Covied out little hole in the middle, and it was, it was made out of wool and little puffs of wool all over the top and everything. 
And then over to the side, about three or four inches, was a stack of long blades of grass cut to length like cordwood, just piled up straight line, not in a beaver pile, but straight line. Each each row of uh, strand of grass, green grass, was stretched out there in a perfect little row like piles of logs, you know, all stretched out. And over a little farther, a couple inches, there was a pile of corn grain, all piled up, neatly piled up, all on a big pile about equal to the size of the green grass. And a little farther over, there was wheat grain, all piled up, sorted out. So you had wheat, corn, green grass, and a house made out of wool. (laughs) I mean, we didn't want that mouse living in our barn as it was and we weren't going to leave him there but we felt really guilty about all this hard work being destroyed because we were going to pour a slab there and uh but we had to do it and uh he was just going to have to go i'm sure he would be industrious and go do this somewhere else (laughs) but it's amazing this little mouse had done this so orderly so cleverly he quite the capitalist that mouse was, you know, because that was his means of production. He went out and he got. Of course, we grew the grass. We he stole the grain from us. He's but you know that's that was in his nature. He didn't understand our property rights. He just was trying to survive, and he probably did. We probably have his descendants still hanging around the barn if the cats haven't eaten them. <laughs> as industrious as he was. But that's capitalism. He he saw the grass growing, he cut it, he brought it over, and he stored it there. He found wool laying around, sheep hides in there, and he pulled that wool out, and he found that as a good means of construction, and he constructed his house. And uh, more power to him. Uh, that's capitalism. Somehow or other, this guy thinks that socialism is what you see when the nut collects the squ- uh, the, the the squirrel co- collects the nut that that's an act of socialism i'm thinking like what are you talking about <laughs> it's like these guys don't even look up the words their brains can't even really function logically and of course this is something i saw also this week on prager u uh prager was talking about uh, you know, right reason, and he's a, he's kind of conservative. He's also uh, a libertarian uh, thinking, uh, but he basically would be classified as a conservative. He agrees with a lot of the ideas of libertarians, and I I have to agree with a lot of his conclusions. He's a very logical guy, um, but and, and he sees the problem in today's election. Is you know like you're you're always seemingly choosing between uh, the lesser of two evils, but you know it's it's fairly clear to him which is the lesser of those two evils. But he's not not 100 sure that we will survive the days ahead. And there are people suggesting this will be the last presidential election within the United States, and then we will go into another phase of our history. But the reality is is that uh, he was pointing out that uh, 
The left is not about right reason. The left is about uh, an emotional, uh, literally amoral approach to this, the problems of the world because they think it's okay to cover their neighbor's good. Now, the truth is most conservatives think that too. They may not say that. They think I have a right to what I earn and all this stuff. But if they're sending their kids to public school at the expense of their neighbor, they've infringed upon this idea of private property. Uh, You're going to be paying property tax anyway. And, of course, the... The logical explanation is that, well, they took from me when they took the property tax money, so I have a right to send my kids to public school. And, of course, they can think that. They haven't really repented. They haven't really turned their thinking around. You have to forgive them what they've taken, and you have to do what's right. And what's right is that you teach your children yourself. You take that responsibility back. And then you'll get the rights over your children. If you don't take that responsibility back, you will lose the rights of your children, and they will take them away. That's why we have the Pied Piper on the front of the Covenants of the Gods. There is no other alternative. Now, some will be saved anyway by the grace of God. But somewhere in their life, they're going to have to make choices in the other direction. And... I am glad that I don't have to fend through the uh, judgment of this. God will do that. But you, if you want to really repent, you want to turn around in many different areas of your life and start governing yourselves differently, or you will not be free souls under God. You will be servants and souls of the new world order, which isn't all that new. It's the old Babylonic order. And and you may not be saved. I don't know. You know, it's up to God. It's not up to you thinking a thought. It requires real repentance, really turning around, really going another way, a real investment, a real sacrifice on your part. Christ came to sacrifice, came to serve. That service called for a sacrifice. Do you think that's any different for you if you are going to follow the way of Christ? It wasn't for the apostles. They all served and sacrificed. Why are you not having to serve and sacrifice? Well, of course, you are having to. And if you have real faith, that won't be that hard. But when it is hard, take a look at that. Do some self-examination. Think about it. Because uh, why is it hard? And it's usually hard because you haven't forgiven somebody. You're still holding a grudge against somebody. And often more than one person. Maybe it's parents. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your neighbor. You're always upset about somebody else. And uh, and what they did, you have to start immersing yourself in forgiveness if you want to be free. If you don't want to be free, go ahead and keep judging others. Cause, but know this, as you judge, 
so shall ye be judged. So anyway, in uh, one of the questions, and uh, you can find uh, this uh, covered under Exiting Babylon, which is one of our many, many articles. Don't you know? It has it has probably on that page probably over a hundred links to other articles, links to audio files. Um, uh, yeah, I'd say that on that page there's probably several hundred links to other ideas. But at the very bottom, I put in a new section question, and people wanted to know if the bondage in Exodus the book of Exodus, was slavery. In one sense, the answer is yes, but in another sense, the answer is no. And they were complaining that I did not give them a yes or no answer. Well, I didn't know I was on the witness stand that I have to do that. I'm trying to impart to you understanding. And if you want to just take a word that it only means one thing, then you have... You're exercising authority over that word. And the fact is the word slavery and the word bondage have multiple meanings. So we have to sometimes define them. That's why God invented the adjective, so that we can understand what words mean in their context. Those adjectives are telling that we mean slavery. And involuntary servitude is clearly slavery. Voluntary servitude is still slavery. It's just voluntary. You voluntarily save yourself. And they, they, they talk about this in the Bible, that if you're that member, we were talking earlier about bond servants, uh, someone indentured for a period of time. At the end of that time, you would go out and you would be free. You would no longer have any obligation. You would fulfill your obligation. But the Bible says if you wanted to stay a servant to that individual for the rest of your life, which is a lot like slavery, you could voluntarily go to the temple and pierce your ear on the door of the temple. Now, remember, this is a metaphor. You don't have to actually, you know, originally the temple was a tent, so there was no wooden door to pierce your ear on. You know, you don't have to do it that way. You can, you know, go down to the cosmetic area of the uh, shopping mall and somebody will pierce your ear there. <laughs> you can go to a doctor, have your ear pierced. But again, even the piercing of the ear is a metaphor. And the idea is they'd put a ring in all these guys with rings in there. That was a sign of slavery, to have a ring in your ear. Because you had pierced... Your ear, they put a ring in it so it wouldn't heal up. They'd put a gold ring in it so it wouldn't get infected, or a silver ring. And uh, you that was a mark that you were a slave forever. Now, the owner is now, you belong to his household. When he dies, you're not free. You go to his sons. But his sons also take on the responsibility of taking care of you in your old age. You're bound to that house. You're now a domestic servant, a domestic slave, you could even say. Now, we slave often has the connotation of involuntary servitude, so we often put the, na- the word slavery over there in the column with involuntary servitude. And then over here in voluntary servitude, we have this other group. Their duties may be exactly the same, 
their bondage may extend exactly the same. But the word slavery is used over here when you are simply captured, and the word involuntary, uh, voluntary servitude is over here when you choose to be a slave. When Egypt uh, took in the Israelites, along with a lot of other people, too, in the famine, that was voluntary servitude. They did not have to agree to the conditions that Joseph laid down on behalf of the Pharaoh. They could have gone, you know, headed for the wilderness and tried to survive somewhere else. They could have gone farther east or south or north. But they went to the Pharaoh. I'm sure some went other places. Some may have made it through the famine on their own. Who knows? I mean, there were still people out there who were not subject to the Pharaoh, so people survived other ways. But the Israelites went to Egypt. Their brother was there in Egypt. They had sold him into slavery, and of course that's why they were being sold into slavery, by the law of nature. Let's go back to that law of nature. I said the law of nature existed before the legislature convened. A lot of people don't want to believe that. Do you believe in gravity? Do you believe that if you jump off a building, you'll fall to the sidewalk? There are laws of physics. They were not legislated into existence by physicists. Laws of chemistry, they're not legislated into existence by chemists. And there's a law of nature that is not legislated by man. It just exists. Those laws are discovered by chemists and physicists and and natural men. They discover those laws. And it's called right reason. Now there are physicists who have figured that this is the law of physics and then they, you know, go on for years and then they discover, well actually that doesn't quite work. It must work another way. There's too many phenomena that occur under that written down law that we put into writing that we thought we discovered. We didn't discover the whole truth. And so they add new laws of physics. But they're not inventing them, they're discovering them. It's the same way with laws of nature. All governments, all legal governments, are based on the laws of nature. Their right to rule is based on these laws of nature, which include the laws of contracting consent. Somebody didn't think that uh, this is another big fallacy. We won't go into it heavily here, but you can look up our page on consent. I added a line to the beginning of that page, which is the definition of consent. And then I put in there that participation and acceptance is counted as consent, you know, basically through the laws of assent. And, you know, and then there's a link to an article on assent. You assent, you know, that's our assent or descent into slavery is often because of participation and acceptance in systems that bring us back into bondage. And the Bible talks about this in great detail. Entangled again in the elements of the world. Through what? Through covetous practices. In other words, you want to participate in the benefits. You want to accept the benefits and so when you do that, that is counted as consent. And you assent 
into this other system. You give your assent by participation. So anyway, uh, in this, when we're talking about this slavery and bondage, you know, and their multiple meanings, we have to look at what did the Israelites go into bondage? And there's there's a certain amount of preachers who go around and they're saying that no, the Israelites were not in bondage. That they actually got to go live freely in Goshen. Not so. There's no evidence of that. They specifically say only the priests did not go under this 20% bondage because they lived on a stipend they were receiving as a gift already. And then, of course, then we have to ask ourselves, what were the priests? What was their job? What was their duties? Most people don't understand. Today, our modern use of the word priest doesn't have very much to do with the early use of the word in the Old Testament, and certainly not in Egypt. That priests performed a certain function, a religious function in society, but we don't even know the meaning of religion today. So when we redefine these words, we discover more, and we'll do that when we come back to Keys to the Kingdom. So be there. We'll be back shortly. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, uh, during the break, I actually altered another page. Uh, only added one little phrase. Israelites in Egypt own no land. Some people argue with that, except as a legal title. Now you have to go look up the word legal title, but you don't have to look it up if you're on our website because it's now an active link that will take you to an article that will explain what a legal title is. A legal title does not include the beneficial interest in property. That is in the definition of legal title. If you have legal title to a land, if you say, hey, I own this, I've got a legal title to this land, you just said, I don't own the beneficial interest of this property. Beneficial interest is also called beneficial use. You do not have the right to use the property. In other words, you do not own that property as a means of production because what is production? Production for use. You don't have the right to the means of production of land you only have a legal title to. Wow. If you only have legal title to land, you're not a capitalist. You're something less than a capitalist. Now, if you want 
the use, you want the use, the means of production, you have to pay a use tax. We call that tax property tax. So if you have to pay property tax on a piece of property, you do not own the means of production. You're renting them from the state. That's not capitalism. That's why I tell you there hasn't been any capitalism in this country since 1933. Been been very little capitalism since 1913. And really since the Civil War, there, there was almost no capitalism even that far back. There was an assemblance of capitalism. There were still people all the way up until 1933 that I know of that owned land that was not on the tax rolls. This simply was not on the tax rolls. They actually owned the land and passed from generation to generation. And actually it was all the way up. One guy in California was all the way up into the 60s. I think it was in 1966. His land was not on the tax rolls. But he said he went out and got a Social Security number. He didn't have one. He was fairly well off. His parents never got him one. And he went out and got a Social Security number when he was, a, I don't know, about 28. He might have been in his 30s. And he says, when I went and got the Social Security number, it was the next year I got a bill on my property for uh, taxes. He says, we never had taxes on that property until I got a Social Security number. Now, I don't know the history of that. I just know that, you know, this is what he was saying. He says, we never were taxed on that land. And it wasn't something that he would go around and tell people that, you know, we have land that's not being taxed. It's kind of like you you actually think maybe that you were just kind of overlooked. But he actually had an allodial title in that land. And there's still land around with an allodial title. The problem is there isn't very many people around that can hold a, an allodial title. <laughs> and there's been some attempts to do this, and uh, most of the stuff you see on the uh, sovereignty networks is, is just fiction. They're just making it up. I've seen so many guys claiming, oh, we've never paid taxes on our property, you know, because we've got, you know, a land patent on it and all this stuff. When you actually locate the property and, and go into the county and, and check, which you can, a lot of times you can do by phone, we've done it, and find out, oh, no, he doesn't pay the taxes. His dad comes in and pays the taxes, or in one case his mom was coming in and paying the taxes. Yeah, he's never paid the taxes, but somebody's paying the taxes, but he's collecting. And, and the, one individual I know collected several hundred thousand dollars selling land packets. Completely fraud, you know, because his mom was coming in and paying the taxes. He didn't have any land off the tax rolls. This guy's living totally in a daydream, but he's making lots of money off of suckers. And even when you prove this to suckers, they still are in denial because they don't want to believe the truth. They want to believe the lie. And con artists make a lot of money off these guys. And there's... There's a very interesting phenomenon that when you find out, once you find out there is no Santa Claus and that your parents lied to you, you have this tendency to distrust everything, every government agency, every uh, uh, 
everything that you're told in the press, you know, everything becomes a conspiracy and a lie. And it's just not that case. Some, I mean, sometimes liars even tell the truth. And you have to be seeking the truth, not seeking... You do not want to be seeking the truth with preconceived notions as to what the truth is. You have to approach that objectively. So anyway, back to what I was telling you. The Israelites in Egypt, they owned no land. They didn't own the land in Goshen. They had a legal title to the land in Goshen. They didn't own the beneficial interest of the land, the beneficial use of the land. They didn't own their animals. The, the animals literally belonged to the state of Pharaoh. And uh, uh, they didn't own any gold or silver. Remember, all the gold and silver went into the treasuries of Pharaoh, and they used something else as if it was money, you know, stuff posing as money. And uh, one-fifth of their labor, their time, their energy, uh, they had to work for the government without pay, which is slavery. Working without pay is slavery. You know, most slaves in the South were paid. Didn't know that. Most people didn't know that. They were paid. It wasn't very much, but they were paid for some of their labor. And they received that money and learned how to spend it. Some men actually saved up money with their wages and invested it in things so that they were able to buy their freedom. And that's right. They were able to do this. So anyway, uh, I'm not saying that I'm not justifying slavery. I'm just saying how it works so that we understand that. Uh, the fact is, I would gladly be a slave to Abraham than a free man in Egypt because Abraham was a just man. And if, uh, my only way out of Egypt was to be a slave to Abraham. I'll lay odds 100 to 1 when the king of Sodom and Gomorrah came out, and, or the king of Sodom came out and said to Abraham, give me the people you can keep the stuff. And Abraham said, I don't want any of this stuff. I won't even take a buckle. Nobody, none of the text says what happened to the people. Well, you know, Abraham didn't want to own the people. So the people were allowed to go back to the city of Sodom and be belong again. You know, their labor would again belong to the king of Sodom. You know, maybe only one-fifth, but some portion of their labor would belong to the king of Sodom. Well, Aliyad, some of them said, I'm staying with Abraham. This guy is really cool. Now, Abraham, you stayed with Abraham not because you were a slave to Abraham, but because you were maybe a part of his household, or maybe you just wanted to join in with some of those other communities that came to help Abraham. Now, how were they governing themselves? That's what you should be asking these questions. I did. You know, my professors in college and in school, they didn't have the answers. <laughs> I've been asking the questions, and finally we've written in books explaining what the answer is, which is really what the kingdom of God is all about and his righteousness, which is what you should be pursuing, which is much different than what you have today. 
because you, like the people in the time of Samuel, have said, the voice of the people said, we want to have a ruler who can exercise authority. We want a chief executive officer to fight, and a uh, commander-in-chief to fight our battles for us. You know, and somebody to elect judges that are honest and fire the judges that are not honest. You know, I always point out, you know, the they had a, headlines was that Clinton, you know, when he was president, Bill Clinton, uh, kept Air Force One on the tarmac for an hour while he had his hair cut. That was the headlines of the day. And, uh, you know, Air Force One's going to sit somewhere anyway. It's not going to cost you any more. It's the, 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 he they don't fly anybody else around. It's not like he's holding up some commercial jet while he gets his hair cut. Uh, but that was the headline today. That's what they told us about. Whenever you see stories like that, you want to know what else went on that day. <laughs> because that same day, he fired all the federal judges throughout the United States. All of them were just fired across the board. And then he rehired them. Now, why in the world would he do that? What What was really going on? They were all fired, then they were all rehired. Why would he do that? Was the condition... Who's paying the federal judges in the United States. Why were they fired and now rehired? Why did they go through that process? There's a reason. And I'll just leave you with that question. You go find the answer. I'm not going to give you all that. <laughs> There's a reason why they do these things. And they, they know what they're doing. That they are, It's a very clever system. You can't just rearrange the words and redefine the words and say that you don't have to obey them. That isn't what Christ said. That isn't what Moses said. That isn't what Abraham said. And they actually set people free. They didn't have a land packet that you had to buy for a thousand bucks or eight hundred bucks. They brought the truth. And they showed you how the system worked. And it's actually in the Bible if you would pay attention. But most people miss it. They don't, like I said, they don't even know what the word religion means. Uh, you know, people, and, and I go on to say, people should actually study the books that we make available for free, and a lot of these things would be cleared up. It will create more questions, but the most of what we've done over the last, you know, decades of years of work and study is we've listened to the questions of people and we've written the answers down. And we're still doing that today on sites like preparingyou.com. And we link them together so that if you continue to study to show yourself approved and apply what you're learning, the answers are there. But you won't see them unless you have a contrite heart for Christ. And against the lie. You have to be against the lie. You want to know the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. So anyway, 
Uh, I point out that on page 34 of the book, The Covenants of the Gods, it says there may be another distinction between slave and a servant, but the distinction is less important to the subject than the master. The fact is that the Israelites were not slaves in Egypt, in one sense of the word, in the strictest sense of the word, I say. Yet their burden was just as if not more disagreeable, and their chains were just as real. And I quote from the History of Slavery by Susan Everett, Slaves never became an important ingredient in Egyptian civilization. The large subject population and enforceable corvi system by which serfs had to work temporarily as slaves made a permanent force of slaves unnecessary. We have no need for slavery in the United States. We got rid of that way back in the 1860s. But we have something that looks a lot like slavery, although we don't like to call it that because we don't like to think of ourselves as slaves. We want to think of ourselves as free. But it's a enforceable Corby system by which you temporarily have to work as a slave. If you work for McDonald's, the first... 20% of or more of the burgers you flip, you flip for the federal government. You know, and, and I tell this story also in the same book where, you know, a boy asked his father who he worked for. And his father said, until July 1st, I work for the government. After that, I work for myself. Now, his father was a lawyer, and I was the boy. And he was explaining to this small boy, I think it was around seven, might have been as old as nine, how the system works. That you're in slavery for a period of every day. And you work for free without pay. And that pay is bundled up and sent off to the federal government. Now, that's just the way it is. I'm not, not faulting anybody. I'm not accusing anybody. I'm just saying... Let's look at the truth. That's what is going on. You're in a Corby system of statutory bondage that looks a lot like slavery. And you want to be free of that, I don't have a paper packet for you to fill out and then, or a thought that you can think and it would just suddenly free. I say repent, turn around, think a different way. Think the way Christ did. Start becoming the benefactors of society that do not exercise authority, but exercise faith, hope, and charity according to the perfect law of liberty. This is what Jesus was teaching people. Did you know that Abraham went back to Haran numerous times while he was a wanderer in the desert? In other words, had no city-state. He was a Hebrew. But he went back to Haran a number of times, and finally he came out of Haran with many souls. Who are these many souls? This was their exodus he's talking about. Moses went back to Egypt. Moses was the heir to the throne of Pharaoh. 
He could have sat on the throne and ruled over the people. That's why he left. It's because he was becoming a totalitarian dictator. Power was corrupting him. And he left. Because he didn't want to be corrupted. He came back when his heart was changed, and he still had trouble. But he came back, set people free. He could have taken the throne. He says, you, Pharaoh, you can have the stuff. Give me the people. But he said, let my people go. And that's basically the way he put the same thing that Abraham had said. Let my people go. But the heart, God hardened his heart of the Pharaoh so that he wouldn't let the people go, because the people had to learn something before they left. Did you ever ask, why did God harden the heart of the Pharaoh? Why, why didn't he just soften the heart of the Pharaoh? And, that, and he said, sure, Moses, take the people, you can go. Because the people had to learn something. You need to know what that is that they had to learn. Because you need to learn that too. You're not getting out of Egypt or Babylon with some paperwork. You have to repent. You have to turn around your thinking. You have to implement that thinking into actual action. Which is going to include, because of the laws of nature, because of the nature of Christ, it's going to include sacrifice and it's got to be a sacrifice that performs a service now why do I say that because it's not about just throwing money you know sending it off to this charity or that charity you actually have to perform a service if you open up a food kitchen when people come in and need food you need to question them you need to find out what they actually need. You need to actually provide a service. Just feeding them is not a service. You may be feeding their sloth. You may be feeding their weakness. You may be making the situation worse. You never give an alcoholic bum $100. It could kill them. He could go out and buy enough booze to kill himself that night. You want to give him what he needs. So you have to perform, you have to sacrifice in a way that provides a service. Handing $20 out the window to a guy on the street corner is not necessarily a service. You may think it is, but the mind is a tricky thing. You need to follow up and find out if you're really helping that person or not. So anyway, I pointed out to the guy that the answer that, to this question is already there, but if you already have the answer in your head, why are you asking me? You want me to give you the answer you want to hear. I'm not, gonna, I'm not here to tickle your ears and give you the answer that you want to hear. I sense when you want me to give you an answer that will tickle your ears. And I rebel against that. And I conform to Christ. You did not come to tickle your ears, but to tell you the truth. So you are in bondage. You are entangled again in the elements of the world. You are merchandise. You have cursed your children, and your parents have cursed you with debt. You can go anywhere and and find out how much debt your nation has. And you are a surety for that debt if you are a beneficiary of that system. 
you are a beneficiary of that system, usually by proving your citizenship or showing them a number that identifies you as a beneficiary. You want to benefit, what number did you have to show? You don't always have to show your Social Security number because you're not supposed to use that in the United States for identity, but you have to show a state ID, and you can't get a state ID without a Social Security number. You actually can get a state ID without a Social Security number. You can go down to the Social Security Department and get a letter from them that says that you have the number for benefit purposes. It has to have that phrase. It has to say you have the number for benefit purposes, but it doesn't include the number in the letter. And then you can go down and get a state ID or driver's license or whatever. And all this is a matter of law. It was originally codified in Title 42, Section 666. And you're waiting for the mark of the beast. Well, you missed it. 1984 came and went. (laughs) You got it already. Okay. No illegal ramblings about contracts and assumptions and presumptions will save you from the inherited bondage that you have received from your parents. Remember, Israel was in bondage because one generation agreed to the Pharaoh's terms, and for 400 years they were still in bondage. And they wanted Moses to set them free, and Moses said he couldn't do it. You had to pay your tally of bricks, but you had to glean in the field at night for your straw. Metaphor alert. That straw was a benefit. The government wasn't going to give you the benefits anymore. You were have to do without the benefits, but you were still going to have to pay the taxes for a short period of time. And during that time, all kinds of things would change. Maybe no more feral elections (laughs) or whatever. You know, I always equate federal with feral. You know, can you spell fed, federal with a PH? Would that be illegal? But anyway, uh, no hollow claims of believing in Christ will set us free. Just because you say you're a Christian doesn't make you the us and we of Paul. You have to be a Christian. You have to be a doer of the word to be a Christian. And the satanic gospel of the day is saying, oh, there's nothing you have to do. You just have to think a thought and you can save yourself. Say the magic words and save yourself. What witchcraft is this? No, you have to repent and seek. That's what Jesus said. That's what John the Baptist said. That's what the apostles said. So you have to think differently and act differently. And you'll still be saved by grace. But if you're acting like everybody else, then, you know, if you're still coveting your neighbor's goods, through the agency of government, you're not a Christian. That's it. You're not a Christian. You might be 5% a Christian. You might be 10% a Christian. But if you're breaking the law, you're breaking the whole law, and you're not saved because you're still coveting. Now, you can be in the system. You can pay your taxes. This is another felonious thing that's floating around is that starve the beast. Don't pay your taxes because you're supporting the beast. The beast operates on debt. It doesn't care whether you pay the taxes or not. I mean, it gives them a reason to beat you because you're not being friends to the unrighteous mammon that you belong to. You are merchandise. 
those traveling merchants of the earth have a full stock of servants and souls of men. Now, what is the difference between a servant and the soul of men? Soul has to do with the corporeal and incorporeal hereditaments of personality. They own you. You're a surety for debt. Get over it. Now, repent. Seek the kingdom of God. How do you do that? Join a congregation of people. I don't care what congregation. You don't have to be one of ours. If you don't want to join one of ours, join somebody else. But if you're not seeking the kingdom of God, God knows. If you're not laying down your life daily, God knows. If you're not coming in the name of Christ and sacrificing and serving others, God knows. Now, I encourage you to join with us, but I can only encourage that. I can't tell you. If you're not against Christ, then I guess in a way you are with us. But we've laid this out. If you want private tutoring, if you want people helping you, you want to be helping others, working together, nothing better than a study group. If if you go to college, uh, you a lot of people study on their own. A lot of homeschoolers are really good at it. But in a study group, the right kind of study group, you know, you know, where you know everything isn't written on the beer cooler, <laughs> you know, you can learn a lot more. So that's what your congregation should be: is study groups. And then you know, I always say, study to show yourself approved. I know what that word study really means in the original Greek text because the word is not translated study anywhere else except in that one verse. But you're going to have to come back after the break for me to tell you what that word really means when they say study to show yourself approved. What are they really saying in the Greek text? And you might be surprised. But I'll tell you when we come back. Keep the kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, uh... What does the word study to show thyself approved really mean? It's the word diligent. Be diligent to show thyself approved. Now, being diligent will include study. But if we translate a word that means diligent study, people like, uh, uh, you know, college professors will think they've got it because they do a lot of study, 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 but they may not do any doing, doing, doing. And uh, it's adamant, adamant of Christ to say, not those who say or study, but those who do. Doing is essential. Again, you can't do enough to earn where God owes you salvation. It will still come by grace. But if you're not doing, you're not seeking. Seeking is a doing word. So, yeah, be diligent to show thyself approved. And part of that diligence is to change your thinking and part of the operation of changing your thinking is to study and find out what words mean what christ meant when he said you know you're not to be like the benefactors who call, you know the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other you're not to be like that 
That's what he's telling you. So you need to change and be like something else. And what you want to be like is Christ. So anyway, somehow or other, this guy was trying to, uh, and I still got more of his letter to read and respond to. I just don't know when I'm going to find the time. Uh, I get up early and I'm working on this stuff and uh, I just, there's just only so much time. And the reason I, you know, I probably work so hard even if I had lots of help, but the reality is, is you need to get up and start working for Christ. Every minute you work for Christ is determining your eternity. And so you need to be working for Christ and start doing what he said to do. Everybody should be doing that. And doing it together, you know, many hands makes the work lighter. And uh, it would be great to see people that are actually helping more. I don't come across very many people that have our work ethic. I, I posted something on Facebook just this week on work and how important that is. I mean, God labored. God talks about labor right away. You know, working six days and taking your day of rest. You know, working six days is sun up to sundown. It isn't, you know, for four hours. It's really working. Uh, and what you can pray while you work. Your prayer and your efforts is, uh, your work is your prayer. You're constantly in a state of prayer. So if you build it, they will come. And you'll be there already because you built it. Uh, so he wanted to make a distinction between voluntary servitude and involuntary servitude, and they may look identical. Uh, involuntary servitude is is uh, when you're captured. Voluntary servitude is when you agree. And a lot of people today cannot see the connection between father and son and child. They think that, oh, when I get to be 18, I'm just free. I'm automatically have all my inalienable rights and I can do whatever I want. It doesn't work that way. Rights are inherited. Uh, that's the law of nature. You, your parents had the means of production and they produced you. You belong to them. They may want to set you free, but that's their choice. You need to honor that bondage to your parents. They gave you life. You know you might outlive your parents. And when your parents die, the Romans knew that you were not sui juris in possession of your rights until your father was dead or he released you. The prodigal son was released. He was given his inheritance and he left. He had no reason to expect that his father would take him back. His father did. You have all taken your inheritance and you've left. Now you want to come back? You got to come back with the intent to serve. Christ made that clear. And then your father will run out even before you've done anything and meet you halfway. But you have to come back with that intent. If you're coming back to borrow more money from your dad, he's not going to run out and rejoice. You know, so go figure. Come to serve. 
So nobody in Egypt was being born free. Parents volunteered their children. They entangled them in the elements of the world. They cursed their children with debt. That's what was happening. They they were going to live, but they were going to live in bondage. And they needed to live in bondage to learn the humility that comes with that. Because they were proud and arrogant and cast their own brother into bondage and didn't realize what it was like to be in bondage. So they had to be in bondage themselves for, you know, just 400 years. So it was voluntary when their parents agreed to it. At birth, they inherited what their parents had, which was servitude. And they were born in servitude. That's the way it works. People don't like to believe that, but they don't understand the law of nature of father. All righteous government, all, let's say, all legal government, I shouldn't say righteous, legal government, which actually means justified government, is based on the law of the father. Who's giving you the benefits? You know, and, and you know, when you're a little kid and your dad says, well, you, you can't, you can't have your toys anymore and you have to stay in your room, and the kid might yell, you're not my dad anymore. You know, I'm not going to call you father anymore. Because uh, he's mad. But it doesn't change the fact that he still is your father. And see, governments do that all the time. You can say, I don't want to obey your laws anymore. You're not my boss. But you're just dishonoring your conscripted pottery. Jesus said, no. Be friends with the unrighteous man. Honor your debts. Pay your taxes. But start seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And God will set you free. Not only will God set you free, but you might actually even survive freedom. You're all going to be set free when the system fails. He said the unrighteous man was going to fail. But you had to be righteous, friendly with the unrighteous man and that you were a part of, that you were in that trust. You were a surety for that day, that you had to be friends with it so that you would be suitable for a more righteous habitation when that system fails. Now, people are impatient. They want. They, and they see the government takes. It says, then how exactly does a newborn infant take this responsibility? Well, the newborn infant doesn't take any responsibility. And people say, well, how does a, you know, how does a newborn infant consent? He sucks. That's how. When he sucks, he accepts. You know what? And Rome had a tradition, based on the law of nature, that when a baby was born, it was brought out to the father. Now, we know the baby came from the mother. We see it is a, the product of production. It is the byproduct of natural production. That baby belongs to that wife. It is hooked to her when it comes out. You know, humankind are one of the few that have to cut the umbilical cord. Most animals just breaks, comes out just disintegrates that umbilical cord. You know, even even calves, seldom do you have to actually cut it. And I mean, it's thick, like humans. 
But humans, you almost always have to cut it. Just some quirk of nature. <laughs> but we know that baby came from that woman. But they take the baby out to the father, and they lay the baby at the feet of the father on the ground. Maybe wrapped up in swaddling clothes or something, but they lay it at the feet. If the father picks it up, it's his baby. If he doesn't pick it up, then the baby has no inheritance. And that's a choice that the father makes. He decides, as governor of his own life, whether his, this is my child, this is my son, this is my daughter. When he picks up that baby, he has the responsibility to that baby, and that baby has a responsibility to him because if he doesn't pick that baby up, that baby gets nothing. Has no, no right to an inheritance. Now that could be good. See, when the Pharaoh's daughter picked up Moses, he became heir to the throne of Egypt. That's right, by adoption. Happens all the time in Bible history. Adoption is a big way to pass on the rights of the Father. You want to be picked up by your Father in Heaven. If you don't do His will, don't expect to be picked up. Just saying you believe in Him isn't enough. So, yeah, knowingly and voluntarily actually took this responsibility. The... The baby, <laughs> the baby is born in bondage because the parents were in bondage. It's that simple. He, he, you get your inalienable rights from God, but they come to you by way of your parents. Kingdom of God is inherited from generation to generation. Noah was righteous in his generation because he wasn't making any deals with pharaohs and and uh, Nimrods of the world. The infant does not need to knowingly and voluntarily actually accept the terms. He accepts the benefit. If he accepts the benefit, it is considered as assenting. One who avails himself of the benefits conferred by statutes cannot deny its validity. You go to public school, you got the government taking care of your parents. Uh, the government is your father. What I approve, I do not reject. I cannot approve and reject at the same time. I cannot take the benefit of an instrument at the same time, repudiate that benefit. He who does not forbid what he can forbid seems to assent. That's right. That's the way it works. The assent of a contract being assent, excuse me, the essence of a contract being assent, there is no contract where assent is wanting. But there's lots of ways of assenting. He who is silent appears to consent. So, you know, it's very clear that people have ascended to these contracts. Now, if you want out of this social contract, if you want to uh, 
get away from it. You cannot just seize your rights back without doing in, injustice to your assent. You people say, well, how much do I owe to pay back? They want, he wants an exact figure. What's the exact figure? Well, there probably is somewhere. But what are you going to pay with? Notes? You got nothing to pay with. You don't own any gold. You don't own any land. You don't own your labor. How are you going to buy yourself back? You, it will take a miracle. You want a miracle? You want God to hear you. You want God to hear you? You have to hear the cries of others. You have to care about others as much as you care about yourself, or God is not going to hear you. He tells you way back in Samuel, this is no secret, that if you you want a ruler, this is the man or ruler you, that will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots and for his horsemen. That they'll be drafted. Get it? Write it down. He will take your daughters. He will take your fields. He will take your tenth of your seed. He will take your manservants. He will take a tenth of your sheep. He will take and take and take and take and take. And you'll cry out in that day because of your ruler, king, president, prime minister, which ye shall have chosen you. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, nay, we will have a president over us. And they're still doing it to this very day. Do we want God to hear us? We need to turn around and do what he said to do. Start listening to what he said to do. Stop coveting your neighbor's goods. Start loving your neighbor. That means you have to become the benefactor to your neighbor. How do you do this all by yourself? Well, you have to gather together. I mean, you don't know that guy on the corner. Maybe you shouldn't give him $20. You don't know those kids, the charity in Africa that you're going to, or South America or wherever it is that you're going to send 100 bucks off to. You don't know them. You don't know what they're doing. You don't know if they're really preaching the gospel. I mean, most churches don't. You know, there's actually a problem with obesity in Africa now. We always think everybody in Africa is slim and, and, uh, well, at least, I mean, that's an image that we get, you know, they're all starving and all those stuff. Now, obesity is a real problem in Africa. So what what do they need? They need the real gospel there. And you don't know if these people are really bringing the gospel. Oh, they build the church, they build an orphanage, and that, those are all good things, I guess. You know, at least the orphanage, you know, somebody's not going to starve, somebody's going to be taken care of. But are they really taken care of if they're just made fit subjects for some other totalitarian government that's going to come along and rule over them and their lives? There is no salvation except by the way of Christ. And unfortunately, most of the people saying that they're Christians are not really teaching the ways of Christ. They're not teaching people how to govern themselves. 
They're not teaching people how to be free souls under God. They're not teaching people how to take care of one another. That they they can't lay hands on people and heal them. Most of them, and and most of the healing that we see that's pretending to be healing is just an emotionally charged situation. It's not Holy Spirit. It's emotion. We need to repent. We need to turn around. We need to do things much different. We need to do things the way Christ intended us to do things. And we need to do that now. We should not be waiting. So in the template that I I created uh, of uh, governments, like I said, I actually didn't even put in the republic yet, but uh, I've got uh, anarchy, and uh, there's a definition of that. Uh, Anarchy is simply without rulers. And Jesus said, you're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles, you know, the that have their rulers. Arche. He uses the word arche. The princes and rulers. Uh, to provide the benefits of society, the benefits of government. Now, you're supposed to provide the benefits of government, but you're not supposed to do it with this ruler who exercises authority. You have you know, what we call a hierarchy. You have a system of rank in the kingdom of God. But it's not one that's based on exercising authority one over the other. And people just cannot grasp this form of government. This Christ very clearly that he is to be greatest amongst you, is to be servant, not ruler. The leaders in the kingdom are leading you to serve. They're leaders, they're not rulers. You know, rulers are leaders, but titular leaders are not rulers. They rule by example, and the example is the example of Christ. So the leaders in the church should be more like Christ. You know, somebody was telling me about a minister who was seemingly incapable of helping somebody who was dying of cancer uh, and needed help. He was having trouble, I believe it was with his urine or something, you know, and and he needed help. And there was like four women there and one man, and the man was the minister, and he he wouldn't jump in and help. Christ would have. So if your minister is not like Christ, you need a new minister. If your minister won't get down on his hands and knees and help you, he's not like Christ. That's why Christ got down and was washing the feet of the apostles. Because he's trying to show them, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to be willing to do, to get down and help, to serve. And if your minister's not doing that, you got the wrong minister. If your minister's not teaching you how to forgive, you got the wrong minister. If your minister's not teaching you how to give, you got the wrong minister. You need to change ministers. 
and choosing your ministers is governing yourself. You should choose titular ministers. Most elections in most countries are no longer choosing titular leaders. They're choosing rulers and lawmakers. Because even just using the word government, people think we're talking about somebody who exercises authority. But Jesus preached a government that did not exercise authority one over the other, but exercised love and charity and faith and hope and the perfect law of liberty. Which do you govern yourself by? Which government are you seeking daily? Which government do you serve and sacrifice for? Is it a government of God? Is it, is it the kingdom of God? Or is it the kingdom of the world? Now, you're all trapped in this system today. If you want to get out, you have to repent. You have to start thinking like Christ. You start have to turn your actions into Christ-like actions. You have to come together and you have to give. Give and give and give. Not to me. You have to give to your local congregation to, and hopefully your congregation is linked with other congregations because you're preaching kingdom, not just congregationalism. And so those, each congregation, if you have no need this week, then you can send most everything that you collect onto another congregation, either directly or indirectly by sending to the minister of that congregation. This is the way the blood circulates throughout the body and starts to have flow. I'm not going to hit you with my staff to get you to start that flow. But if you don't start that flow, you will not find the kingdom of God. You certainly will not find this righteousness, and you will not have a place in you. See, you know, when that, if, if water doesn't flow through a spot, it gets stagnant and putrid, filled with parasites. It must flow to stay pure. So life must flow through you to others. You must be giving to others. It's great if you help your family out. It's great if you help your immediate neighbor out. But what grace have you if you only help those that love you? You don't have much grace. Thinking kingdom means thinking about others as much as yourself. Others that you don't even know. Others that may not ever benefit you directly. You have to come to serve all mankind. And one way to serve them is to share with them the truth. To help us get the truth out there so that we all might be saved. Till then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, 
books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.